In the Trauma-Informed Education podcast, you can get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to our Trauma-Informed PBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. That's tipbs.com. host Dr Kay Eyre. As educators we take on different roles with our students and colleagues. We act as educators, advocates and at times even caregivers. Such work is often demanding, taking both a personal and professional toll on our well-being. It takes a personal commitment and comes with personal rewards and sacrifices. So how do we care for ourselves and sustain our efforts to support our students? In this episode, we interview Dana Thomas from the Happy Teacher Revolution. Dana is the founder of the Happy Teacher Revolution Network, aimed at organising support groups for teachers in the field of mental health and wellness to increase teacher happiness, retention and professional sustainability. With teachers being asked to give so much in terms of time, money and emotional capacity, the Happy Teacher Revolution Network aims to support teachers to strike a balance between excellent teaching and personal sustainability. Dana is interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Govind Krishnamurthy. I hope you find this interview interesting and useful. Hi everyone and welcome to Trauma Informed Education. My name is Dr. Govind Krishnamurthy and I'm here as always with Dr. K. Eyre. Hi Kay. Hi Govind, how are you? I'm doing not bad, yeah, but I'm excited (laughs) today uh, to have Dana from the Happy Teacher Revolution. Hi, Dana, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Now, we're excited to have you here. Look, let's just get right into it. Dana, could you tell us a little bit about your background and what got you working with teachers? Well, teachers are my favorite people in the whole entire world. I think teachers have such a level of energy, flexibility, empathy, understanding. Um, and with, when they're with kids all day long, I think teachers really are young at heart. Um, I'm so grateful for my teachers personally because when I was struggling in high school and college with mental illness, I, I was struggling with depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And I could hide it from my parents and I could hide it from my friends, but I couldn't hide it from my teachers. And I honestly owe my life um, to my educators for saving mine and recognizing those warning signs and um, encouraging me to seek treatment. And part of my journey in my own healing has been serving as a mental health advocate. So um, my teachers encouraged and inspired me to become the national spokesperson for NAMI Maryland, the National Alliance of Mental Illness and the Music for Mental Health campaign. Um, and so I, I absolutely love educators and, and, and my fellow teachers and colleagues now are my best friends. Um, and so I, I truly believe that if we prioritize the mental health and wellness and happiness of our teachers, then we're really helping kids. 
Yeah, that's great. Lots of interesting stuff there. I want to ask you about the music for mental health at some point, but um, uh, we might chat about the Happy Teacher Revolution. Diana, do you want to tell us about what it is and um, kind of your role in de developing it to where it is now? Sure. So um, as I mentioned before, I was very outspoken about topics that are typically wrapped in stigma and shame. Um, and because I was so outspoken about my own journey in mental health, a lot of my teachers and um, that were colleagues uh, came out to me, the, the teacher down the hall or the floor above me, the teacher next to me in my graduate school class, um, the teacher that I sat across from in professional development shared with me their own struggles with anxiety and stress as it relates to the job. Um, and so I very quickly noticed a pattern that there were so many educators who were suffering in silence and felt so incredibly isolated and alone. And we're with kiddos all day long, um, but yet we really craved the opportunity to connect with each other uh, in a way that developed our own social emotional learning. So that's how Happy Teacher Revolution was born. And honestly, when I started teaching, the only thing that I felt incredibly unprepared for were the emotional demands of the job. And I thought that was something that was unique to uh, new teachers like myself in their first and second year. And so that's where Happy Teacher Revolution started was to help as an intervention for new and a tool for new teachers uh, to support one another. But it's not where it ended because I realized it wasn't just new teachers who craved that space. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just teachers who were in this particular uh, certification training program, but our veteran teachers needed and craved an opportunity to connect and empathize with each other just as much as our new educators did. Um, and so Happy Teacher Revolution is not therapy. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a licensed social worker. Um, I'm truly providing a space for mindfully listening and mindfully sharing with one another. And it's not AA because you're allowed to drink afterwards, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a space for teachers to share wellness strategies with each other. And honestly, um, I am very much inspired by my mom and her journey um, in battling her addiction. So she's been sober for over eight years now, and it's through programs uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was just so fascinated with the idea of people who had a shared um, issue or just a, a shared connection in a way and how coming together and sitting a in a circle and, and connecting with each other is a way um, to heal and to find humanity in a world where I think um, with social media and everything going on that we really crave that face-to-face -face interaction. Mm, yeah. Um, Kai and I were just at some, doing some training recently and we had the opportunity to go back to a school, which is always nice. Um, but one of the pieces of feedback we often got was how personally impactful mm. some of the trauma-informed concepts were and how yeah. they felt, you know, pers personally they were de developing, you know, through this journey mm. when, you know, they thought it was really about the kids. I was just curious about your own take about that, about how we grow as people in the jobs in terms of the impact it has on us and what you've kind of heard in these groups, Donna, that's really stood out to you. Oh, yeah. Well, I think um, what has stood out to me is just the ability for teachers um, to have to be able to empathize with students, but also remain like detached in a way. Um, also in Baltimore, I, I'm, I taught uh, for seven years in um, 
Baltimore City Public Schools. And it's mm-hmm. interesting to think about uh, trauma in terms of working with uh, children who've experienced trauma firsthand or are currently experiencing ongoing trauma, um, especially mm-hmm. given the gun violence here in Baltimore mm-hmm. as well, um, and the effect that has on educators. And so mm-hmm. um, the idea of vicarious or secondhand trauma and our teachers taking on the effects mm-hmm. as if they had experienced it firsthand. Um, mm-hmm. I think what really shook me was being a teacher, an elementary school teacher um, during the time of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting yeah, and wow. um, thinking about all of the educators and, and staff in a building who are literally first responders. Um, mm-hmm. and. I thought about, you know, all the gun, ongoing gun violence that's happening in my, my city here in Baltimore. Um, and our, my, my kiddos who are five and six years old, I taught kindergarten who have lost parents because of gun violence. Mm-hmm. And they have parents who are incarcerated um, mm-hmm. as in matters related to gun violence. And mm-hmm. during um, the uprising and after the death mm-hmm. of Freddie Gray here in Baltimore, um, mm-hmm. it was just it was declared a state emergency and they closed schools for a day and we had, you know, armed guards on the streets in our neighborhoods and my Mm -hmm. kindergartners came back the next day to school and had a lot of questions. Uh, They Mm -hmm. were asking me, you know, Miss Thomas, you know, all their hands go up and they're like, Miss Thomas, why did I see uh, people throwing rocks at police officers? Miss Thomas, why did I see people lighting buildings on fire? Miss Thomas, you told us that, that police officers are community helpers. Well, how come they didn't help Freddie Gray? And so I'm just floored. I mean, this is questions from five and six year old students who have seen and witnessed these kinds of things. And, um, and to be a teacher, I think, to come back to your original question about what I'm hearing in the circles is to be a teacher during a time where you're supposed, you feel like you're supposed to have all the answers and you don't. Um, and having, you know, so much, uh, so much responsibility without any authority uh, is also mm. something a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's that's such a powerful story, really, and it reminds me of how a lot of this stuff affects the entire community. It's not just yes. the kids. It's yeah, and like community trauma, you know, and also sort of generational trauma too. Mm. Uh, mm. And, and kiddos that you know in my kindergarten class who are experiencing homelessness. Um, students who are in foster care and moving parent to parent, um, and also just the idea of uh, building relationships with children and their families, um, Mm -hmm. and not knowing from year to year if I'm going to see them again or hear from them again, or if they change phone numbers, or if they move um, neighborhoods. And so uh, I think there's just so many layers to it um, that Mm -hmm. I've realized in working with, um, in a special needs inclusion classroom, I had a lot of students who um, were on the spectrum and other things. Mm-hmm. And I had to provide so much structure for them and routine, mm-hmm. um, give them warning ahead of time. And I felt like I also craved that structure and routine. And it was hard for me to transition in and out of the school year because I felt so invested mm-hmm. in the lives of these children and their families. And then summer would start and, it, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if I would ever see them again. So um, yeah. I think it's hard for teachers, not just during the school year, but, but all year long. Mm, mm, that's great and I'll get Kay to jump in if she had any questions but I'll just um, wanted to ask you you liken educators to uh, being like turtles <laughs> I, <was wondering laughs> you explain that analogy. I love that that was great <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I uh, I think that teachers are very similar to turtles because <laughs> they have to have a 
soft underbelly, uh, that it's that ability to be able to connect um, with children and to foster their joy and love in learning and creativity. Um, the humanity of education, I think, is what that soft underbe underbelly represents um, and that human connection, not only with kiddos, but also the human connection from teacher to teacher as peers um, and human connection to the families of the children that we teach. Uh, and the other part of the turtle is the hard shell on the back, too. So, you know, teachers really, they, they have a strength. Um, that I think goes uh, so under-recognized as, as compared to some other professions. And also the idea of having that emotional constancy and being able to just let things just bounce right off your back. Um, mm -hmm. Having that disconnect, that detachment and, and be able to sort of shield um, from the outer world. It can be, it can be tough because we, we have to be tough and soft at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> that's a great analogy. Um, Kay, did you have any questions? <laughs> I think Kai has a soft spot for turtles, so I'll let it take <laughs> no, I, no, I think it's, yeah, I think that's wonderful. I just, just as an observer, um, Dana, when you were saying about, um, you know, the space that you are in where there's a lot of gun violence, mm. I know from the people that I worked with in behaviour from our point of view, as observers of your types of spaces, our, I guess, it's only our personal opinion, but we were always, um, you know, dealing with very high-level disruptive children, but we always had that, I guess, that level of, of, I guess, relief that we could never be in that position. And we'd often look at situations like yours and think, oh my goodness, how with that extra layer of fear as a teacher present and, and available, how, how would you ever manage it? I mean, we used to find turning up in our intervention centres and our spaces for kiddos that were really, really disruptive, stressful because of the, you know, some of the physical violence and the verbal abuse, but we never had that level of fear that a child could walk into our school space with a gun or a parent or anything like that. And I often really wondered how teachers like yourself, I didn't know if you were just used to it because it's what you've always known or is it a really toxic level of stress that's always hiding under your turtle shell? Yeah. Like sort of like a static noise in the back. Yeah, yeah, that's just always just hanging there, just waiting to do something. I just never wonder. I just always wondered. Yeah. Well, it's sort of. Um, I mean, what's strange is how normalized it's become in such a short amount of time in terms of the active shooter drill. So, like, just like you would have a fire drill, we practice for having a shooter in the building. And I remember I moved schools and got uh, into a new classroom, and I remember seeing uh, my students had cubbies for the first time uh, with it inside of the classroom. And I remember thinking, my first thought was, "Oh, that's going to be a great way to check to see who's there when what." And during active shooters so that I so that way I can quickly know okay these are the students that are missing and I just thought to myself wow like how shocked and sad I was that that was that was something that would even cross my mind and was something that teachers have to think about and consider and practice for now mm -hmm. um, and even kindergarten teacher there was a picture that went viral of a kindergarten teacher who had come up with a rhyme a sing-songy like nursery rhyme to help children prepare for active shooter and mm -hmm. you know I think 
that it's just, it just is one example of how the role and responsibility of educators has changed so much now versus 20 years ago. And we, we have professional development for back to school 20 years ago. I hear from teachers it was about data and test scores and evaluating the students and content curriculum. And now professional development for teachers is how to prepare for an active shooter, how to recognize signs of abuse in a, ch a child and to call child protective services, and also how to recognize the mental health signs in, this, in their students um, and for potential, you know, suicide, suicidal thing, you know. So I think, just to think about uh, the way that the role has changed for educators mm -hmm. um, and, and also uh, how we can better prepare teachers in terms of the teacher preparation courses for some of these emotional demands, how we can act for teachers as an intervention their first five years when half of our teachers are leaving uh, yeah. in, their in the US. And it's yeah. really expensive. It's actually costing $2.6 billion a year because of this teacher turnover. And also our last group of teachers, how do we get those veteran teachers to stay in the classroom? Uh, because they're so valuable, not only to the students, uh, but to helping develop professionally the younger teachers who are coming into the building. Mm, absolutely, thank you. Yeah. No, that, that's so true. I think recently we were talking, Dana, about, because um, we were just reflecting on our trauma training, and um, we were thinking about how we, we you know, were needed to be continually mindful about the kind of material we kind of present to teachers. Because uh, the analogy that came to my mind is when you have like a, a neurosurgeon explain to you in detail about all the risks about neurosurgery to someone who's lame, you get freaked out, you don't know what to do with that information. Um, and so, and it kind of impacts how you, you know, how you carry on with the day. So I was curious about how you thought about teacher well-being um, and how, uh, you know, how you went about kind of starting that conversation with teachers without it um, feeling overwhelming or uh, kind of instilling a feeling of helplessness for them. Yeah, I think, um, well, for me, it was, it, Happy Teacher Revolution was born out of a place of desperation. Uh, truly, like I, it was during a time when I uh, was teaching kindergarten in Southeast Baltimore. I had 39 kindergartners in my class, um, which was just outrageous. 26 of them were English language learners uh, and were just developing and uh, learning English. Um, and I was working for administration that was sexually harassing female staff members and so I was in this incredibly toxic place I felt so powerless mm -hmm. and I thought well at least at, at least in terms of me and my, my colleagues my other teachers at least we have each other uh, and so it truly it was the meeting the space the community was born out of a place of desperation and a way mm -hmm. for us uh, to to feel heard because I mm -hmm. think teachers were we felt so silenced uh, where we were, and and also even like in the in the national conversation in the U.S., um, there are so many people who have so much to say about educators, and and like yet you know we we felt like our voices weren't heard, and so I wanted to at least provide a space for us to listen to each other, and also, you know, I think it was it was challenging for me because I felt like there were certain people who it was only teachers that could get it. And I could relate to. I felt like if I came home to my partner um, who's not in education, that he, you know, wouldn't necessarily understand, or my parents, or you know, my my phone calls with my brother who's not in education. I wanted I wanted to feel 
not only like heard, but but understood. And so uh, it it was it started you know in in my kindergarten classroom and at the Johns Hopkins campus where I had I had just graduated from grad school and and just slowly spread from there. Um, and I think just just because teachers teachers found me because they wanted to to create something like this where they were. Um, and so I had, I had been in the classroom for seven years and I was still teaching full time and uh, Education Week had done a, done a feature on Happy Teacher Revolution. And, and ever since that little piece of publicity, it's like I was hearing from people all over the country and all over the world and okay, how do I start these meetings in my community? Um, and so while I was teaching full time on the weekends and after school, I would connect with people just like this um, to help them start these support groups in their own communities. And it's been really amazing because I think tr teachers just truly crave that sense of community. Yeah, no, it's, it's an excellent initiative. What do, you, what do you think teachers need to understand about mental health and well-being, Donna? Are there a few points that you think are quite crucial for them to understand? Right. Well, I think that uh, it's just like the oxygen mask analogy on an airplane. Like, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before assisting others and, and, and children around you. Um, I think the thing about mental health is that, um, you know, there is such a stigma around it. And someday I wish that uh, we see on the cover of Wheaties boxes and athletes wearing a green ribbon to represent mental health awareness, just like they probably wear a pink one for breast cancer awareness. Um, and so I think what is so important for teachers to understand is that uh, it's, it's something that is affecting one in four Americans suffers from mental illness that, you know, the onset of mental health issues most frequently occurs between the ages of 17 and 24. And so um, for our new teachers who are just leaving university and, and going to the classroom, like there's still, um, it's, it's still something that doesn't, in terms of mental illness, does not discriminate based on age, uh, socioeconomic status, gender, background. It's something, uh, that might not have a visible sign like some other illnesses, um, but is is just so common. And so, uh, what I think, what I think is so important to emphasize to educators is that we need to take care of ourselves so that we continue to take care of kiddos in our classroom. Um, and teachers are so willing to sacrifice themselves first and to put every everyone else um, ahead of themselves because that's sort of the nature of the job is that self-sacrificing that uh, teachers don't need to be martyrs. And it's just so important that our educators take care of themselves because burnout is real um, and compassion fatigue is real and toxic stress is real. And I just think that our, our teachers uh, really need to take care of themselves. Yeah, no, that's so true. And um, I know Kay and I teach into a course where we are having new teachers come into the field all the time. Um, and we know about, you know, your little figure about how much it costs us in terms of losing teachers. And that's something we hear from principals all the time as well, that they invest a lot of time and resources into teachers and then they sort of move on and carry on often well-intended, well-meaning. If someone was about to leave, and I know there are people listening to this who are new in the profession, um, if they are entering into a school, what would be two or three things that you would recommend your kind of top tips in terms of being reflective or needing to kind of be more attentive about your, their well-being? Dana, what would be your top tips for that? I think um, it's it's so important for teachers to not only practice self-care outside the parameters of the school day, but also 
thinking around how do I structure self-care within the school day as well. Um, so if there's a moment to even build into your school day a time to meditate with students, uh, just maybe five or 10 minutes, there's guided meditations that are totally free um, online. But I used to do it when my students would come back from lunch because the cafeteria could be like a little bit crazy and chaotic. And so it was, what was really nice is not only modeling for my students uh, these moments of self-care and mindfulness and meditation to check in with, to oneself and in, in terms of the chaos of the school day and all the, all the things that are going on. Um, but to not only model for kids, but to practice it with them and for it to be sort of the shared experience can be really awesome. Um, I also think it's important for teachers to uh, have a gratitude journal or gratitude practice. Uh, and it could even be something with like a, a wellness accountability partner um, at the end of the school day before you leave uh, or, you know, before folks go their separate ways to just say, today I'm really grateful for blank. Um, and for that to be something that even as crazy and chaotic uh, a school day can be, um, there's always moments to find gratitude. And I also think it's interesting to, to even rank down um, something that went, well, that was really tough that happened that day, because if you, if you keep this as a regular practice, you can go back in the past and say, wow, that was a really tough moment way back when, but look how I got over it. Look at how I moved on and look how it's small potato. It's just, it's not, it's totally um, not as meaningful a feeling as it was back then. So um, I also think that my last thing uh, strategy would be some type of uh, boundary setting and, and having a physical marker for it. So some teachers might have like a teacher lanyard um, that they carry their ID on or their keys. And I think in the medical profession, our doctors, once they check out as Dr. So-and-so, they take off their lab coat, their white coat, they hang it up. And that's sort of their transition into their, into not, uh, to their, to their personal lives. And I think teachers having some kind of some physical marker of either putting the um, lesson plan book away into the drawer, leaving it at school, leaving your work laptop at school, or disconnecting um, from your work email, or having a physical lanyard or ID that you take off to say, okay, I'm not Miss Thomas anymore, I'm Dana. Um, yeah. That can be really helpful. Oh, that's excellent. I love the idea about a wellness accountability partner. Yeah. <laughs> I think we yeah. all need one of them in our lives. Um, oh, yeah. Dana, do you want to talk about how the program's been used in schools and what outcomes you've fared so far with the program? Right. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, our first cohort of uh, national revolutionaries started October of 2017. Uh, and so our Facilitators are the people who are lead, leading these meetings. Uh, we call them revolutionaries. So uh, our revolutionaries initiated Happy Teacher Revolution spaces in their communities, um, some at the school level and some at a district level. Uh, we're in 13 different states in the US um, and we're also international. So our largest Happy Teacher Revolution site is in West Africa in Dakar, Senegal at the International School of Dakar. Um, and we'll be expanding to China within the next month, which is really exciting too. Uh, so it's, it's just been so incredible to not only support individuals in starting these communities, but to provide a space for them to connect with one another um, and to problem solve and to hear about how much growth and progress not only their communities have experience after providing this type of space, but also the revolutionaries themselves uh, in terms of their own personal growth and self-care. 
Yeah, that's excellent. Did you have an anecdote? I'm sure you have lots of anecdotes of teachers who've really found the program useful. Did you have any stories you could share with us? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity um, to listen to your interview with Matthew Portel, uh, the principal of Fall Hamilton Elementary, which is a trauma-informed school in Nashville Metro. Uh, they have taken Happy Teacher Revolution, and they've taken it and just, and they ran with it. It has been so great to hear how successful it's been for uh, building their school community. I think that it, just visiting their school, I got to experience what a great positive school culture feels like. And I think a lot of school buildings can feel like uh, a bow that's being, or a boat that's being rowed by an uneven oarsman, where it can feel like there are some people who tend to be pulling more weight than others. And in Matthew's school, it just feels like such a community. Um, I had the opportunity to meet another revolutionary, Nicole Parker, who teaches in New England and Massachusetts. And I got to meet her in person and her family when she was visiting Baltimore. Um, and what I, what I really valued about Nicole was her personal growth uh, in the program. I could just see her blossom uh, as our training went on into being someone who really started advocating for herself uh, and and how that positively affected you know her not only her her students in her classroom but her family and her husband took me aside uh, when I, I had met the whole family in person and he said you know thank you so much for what you're doing and and for specifically what what you did to help my wife and just feeling the ripple effect of how, you know, if a teacher starts prioritizing their happiness, how everyone around them can feel it, you know, their students can feel it, their colleagues, their boss and their significant other and their kids. And I just think that if we have this happiness ripple happening, we can potentially create a whole new generation of young people, um, who are thinking about things in a way in terms of prioritizing their own self-care and sustainability and how, you know, nobody wants to learn from an unhappy teacher. Nobody wants, you know, nobody wants to work with an unhappy teacher. And so it's just so great to, to, to have that like visceral response of, of affecting and, and helping teachers prioritize their happiness. Yeah. We were talking about Matthew before um, and how it's great working with schools who are really on board with these ideas. Um, yeah. Uh, almost makes you feel a bit suspicious sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know, you're like, yeah, I know. And, and, it's, and it's funny because it's like when there are these incredibly happy schools and like when I would come to work so happy because I started like living what I preached and, and my secretary in this cafeteria worker would say, Miss Thomas, what's in your drink? Let me smell your drink. Why are you so happy? And I'm like, I swear. It's not. <laughs> I said, it's genuine. It's authentic. You know, it's like, it's not in, it's, it's not what's in the water, you know, so. Um, I think that it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll get Kay to jump in and ask a question in a minute, but I was wondering what would be your message to administrators and school leaders, Dana, like Matthew, I mean, you know, who are, who are kind of starting to be curious about this, starting to be a bit kind of concerned about their staff's well-being. What would be your message to them, do you think, about this? Yeah. Well, I think what I've learned the most from Happy Teacher Revolution is that we need a happy administrator revolution just as much. Uh, and I think that uh, what I would tell administrators is that in order to help develop the social emotional learning of the students uh, in their school, that they need to help develop the social emotional learning of the staff in their school, um, first and foremost. I think um, some people might be scared of bringing a group of teachers together for a support group um, in terms of like fear of it becoming like a 
venting session and a moaning session. And I think, you know, teachers will find a way to vent anyway. Um, <laughs> in a, sometimes in professional development, I think that, that, that at least has been my experience. But um, what's been amazing about Happy Teacher Revolution is it offers an opportunity um, in a more structured way for teachers to share um, and, and feel listened to, but it always ends on a positive note. And it somehow you feel lighter when you walk away from the room. And there's a way to think about professional development um, in terms of empowering teacher wellness and leadership in that way um, for also seeing the humanity in, in the school building. Um, and instead of gossiping about one another, instead of pitting teachers against one another, like imagine creating a community where we're encouraging each other and seeing the humanity in one another. So um, I think for administrators, it just, it's, it could be such an incredible opportunity to bring your staff together in a way that's meaningful and authentic um, and, and isn't revolved around, you know, happy hour after work, um, but rather in a way that's productive in terms of support teacher wellness. Yeah, no, that's really powerful. I think the community building aspect is so incredibly useful, I think. And often we think about trauma as fracturing, uh, you know, putting fault lines through the community, really, um, not just the school community, but across the community. And a lot of the times you are healing those uh, cracks. So I think attending to everyone, the teachers and the students is so important um, with being able to do that. Um, Kay, did you want to... Um, did you have a question for Dana about um, anything she's talked about so far? Yeah, just a quick sort of practical question. If if I was interested in, if I've, I was in a school and I'm teaching away in my little classroom and I think, oh, this is a great idea. I wish we could start doing that. Do, like, practically, what, Dana, what would that look like? Do I... Um, talk to my colleagues and say, is anybody interested? And then do I physically have to find a space within the school? Do I use my classroom? Do you suggest that we sit out under a tree? Or like, how do I practically, how does the structure work for me? So that it doesn't just become, I grab my colleagues and yes, while we need to vent as teachers, that that's all it becomes. You know, uh, we don't have enough resources. This is all too hard. I don't know what to do. That that terrible feeling of, yeah, helplessness because, yeah. yeah. So how, how do I physically go about establishing it sort of thing in my school? Right. So we offer our training online. Uh, our website's happyteacherrevolution.com. And so our next cohorts are uh, enrolling at the end of October uh, 2018 of this year. Um, and... In our curriculum, we do help people um, and guide them in terms of creating these spaces and only building relationships with people outside of your circle who might be interested in joining the space. Um, but also, uh, we help advise you in terms of yeah, where to physically hold the meeting. So it depends. We, we have our revolutionaries hold their meetings in various different types of spaces. We've had people hold them in uh, libraries or yoga studios, um, even uh, outside, like you said. And so the idea is that, you know, this is a space that is open and always free for educators to attend. Um, and so it's an opportunity to to help build community um, in in a particular education. It could be in a school um, or a classroom. Some people do it as like team meetings 
once a week in their team meeting or maybe once a month as a staff altogether, uh, but opening it up to schools in their area. So not, not even just limited to localized in one place. So it depends. Uh, each community is unique and different, um, but we've had people host them in all, in all types of spaces. And part of that training, I guess, is giving guidelines how to structure the, the circle talk and circle chat. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And creating a safe space um, and building community. Um, in one of our recent courses, we had a, a social worker join the call to advise us in, in the stages of group development, um, which is something that in social, in terms of her social work licensure, um, that she built these communities or, or has these support groups. And while that's not what we're doing, it, it, it is helpful to learn about the theory behind group development. Sure. Um, and so also, you know, we help support our revolutionaries um, with other resources uh, to, to have in their space. So for example, and there's a number of people who've come up to me after my meetings and said, you know, thank you so much for this space. After, after coming to have teach revolution meetings, I realized I needed therapy. I reached out to a medical provider um, in my area, and now that's something that I, a wellness practice I do regularly. And so um, it has been interesting to see how people have used the Happy Teacher Revolution space to expand on their own wellness practices, uh, just by hearing what ideas from what other people are doing to promote self-care and wellness, um, and sort of reducing that stigma around, you know, hey, it's okay to go talk to somebody if that's, uh, you know, it's a treatment option and if it's something that um, just a people speaking from themselves so uh, in the spaces there the sentence starters are don't include things like you should blank you know it's not an advice giving space uh, folks are strictly sharing from their own perspectives yeah no that's great you know so so much of the time we see you know administration people when they see a teacher struggling, they throw a pamphlet in their face with, you know, numbers for EA, you know, employee assistance and things like yeah. that. And yeah. it's so poorly done, isn't it? And and really, this is about taking that proactive step of right. actually not just the administrator reaching out to the teachers, but the teachers supporting each other, um, right. but in a safe, structured um, you know, supportive space, which is um, so important, I think. Um, I, I, I did want to ask you before we finish, I was curious about your thoughts about uh, incorporating music um, in terms of supporting well-being, not just for the teachers, but the students as well. Did you want to uh, tell us a little bit about your work with that, Tana? Oh, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a saxophone player. Um, I've been playing the saxophone since the fourth grade and I was a, I studied music in college also. Um, and my boyfriend's a musician, so I have music around me all the time. We actually are playing tomorrow in Baltimore. We have a gig tomorrow. Wow. Um, but, uh, for a number of years when I, uh, taught kindergarten for, for the majority of them, my students did not have music class. Um, and so as someone who is a musician, like it just broke my heart that they didn't have a music teacher in their, when they're five, six years old. I mean, I think improvisation is so incredibly important. And I think, um, children that age are so ready to improvise and be creative. And, uh, so since my kindergartners didn't have a music teacher, I thought, well, how can I embed music 
into our core content subject areas? Um, and how can that help them learn better? Like, how can I use music to help teach? And so nursery rhymes and, and rhyme and pattern are so incredibly helpful in, in helping educate students, um, both in math and literacy. Um, so, you know, we would do all kinds of stuff. Like, we would, uh, we would make a, a, a rap, like a, a beat with the beginning sounds, like beginning consonant sounds, and we would layer the sounds on top of each other. And um, Daniel and I even wrote a song uh, to transition in the morning um, to help my students not put milk in the trash can because uh, we ate breakfast and um, we ate breakfast every day in our classrooms. And and our custodian would always get so mad when the kids would pour all the milk into the trash can, so we'd have them in a bucket. But um, as I mentioned earlier, about 26 of my students of the 39 um, spoke Spanish. And so we create a bilingual song that would be our cleanup song in the morning that would go, no ponga, no ponga, no ponga, la leches, no ponga, no ponga, la leches en la basura. And it was great. The, kid, the kids loved it. We sang it every day. And I, and I used it thereafter, you know. Whether or not I had Spanish-speaking students in my class or not, it was it was just really great to use music in the arts, um, not only for core content but also for procedures, transitions, and things like that. So, um, I, I love Mary Poppins, and my classroom was Mary Poppins themed uh, with the kites and everything, and a, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And so, I think if I can incorporate the arts and music into everything I do, and even when it comes to like testing and sort of those. Those, those times in my teaching career, I was like, oh my gosh, not this again. If we could have uh, a, a way to make it fun uh, was, was, always, was always how I like to do things. So music is such a, a joy for me. And I, and I think my, my students always loved when I brought my saxophone into school too. So that was fun. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad I asked you about that. We could do a yeah. whole other podcast about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's, because we actually a music video in my um, kindergarten classroom uh, for Happy Teacher Revolution. So the, my students were on the instruments, and um, it was really fun. So uh, we'll great music. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to put up the link to that in the show notes oh. with this, um, and we will put up all the resources as well. The other things you've talked about. Um, just before we finish, Diana, so what are you currently curious about in your work? Do you think um, with where things are at with the Happy Teacher Revolution? I think what, what I've been thinking a lot about recently is how do we help support great teachers in staying in the classroom? Um, and specifically, how do we support great teachers who are also entrepreneurs? Uh, so what I've been thinking a lot around is, you know, in terms of um, teachers in the classroom, I think there is always sort of this expectation that, okay, well, if you want to advance your career, it's like you go then into administration and then you go, you move out of the classroom. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how can Happy Teacher Revolution be a way uh, for teachers to professionally develop each other and to earn extra income and expertise in that entrepreneurial endeavor um, and for that money to be used for self-care and wellness? Because we see major corporations like Google, Johnson Johnson, IBM, who are investing in workplace wellness, who are paying for their teachers to have access to gym membership and nutritionist and, you know, all of these things. And, and they find that their teachers take less sick days, or <laughs> their employees at Google will take less sick days, you know, they're more likely to come back the next year, they're happier, they perform better. So I think to myself, you know, in teaching and education, how can we provide that workplace wellness opportunity for teachers? You know, I think, 
in there's there's places in the U.S. Uh, in Oklahoma and Arizona and Kentucky where teachers aren't making nearly enough um, that they deserve to be, and they're working multiple you know part-time jobs. And the t cover of Time magazine shows a teacher who has to sell their blood plasma to make ends meet, and that's called that's teaching in America. So I think to myself, you know. If, Districts can barely afford to pay teachers a living wage. Like there's no, there's no way that they can pay for a gym membership or a massage stipend. So like what what can we do to help supplement teachers' income in a way that can also parallel self care and wellness? And I've also been thinking a lot about the effect of trauma on the brain and how you know first how students respond versus how adults respond. Uh, and thinking a lot, reading about how the effect of trauma in the brain and, and just thinking specifically of students in my classroom who it was like fight or flight and they would dart, you know, would run out of the classroom and how I didn't understand the science behind what was happening. And so I just think there's so much more research that's to be, that's to be done. Um, but I think we're headed in a positive direction and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to connect with experts and for people like you who are, are shining a light on, on trauma-informed practices and how that affects uh, teachers and the students in their classrooms. So I'm just so excited to keep the conversation going. That is fantastic. And that's such a fascinating point about money too, because a lot of the times when it comes to doing things to help teachers, uh, you know, the biggest objection is, well, there's no money. And if there is right. money, we spend it on the students. And so right. it's always the teachers getting put last. And yes. there's such stigma around uh, money itself, isn't it? <laughs> In terms of making yeah. income and even having a conversation around it is, is, right. um, so difficult so that's really fascinating yeah, yeah. no that's excellent uh, thank you so much Dana um Kay did you have any final questions or comments for Dana at all I need to say yay it's <laughs> wonderful yeah it's really it's it's this is again might sound not the way it's meant to the way it sounds in my head but it's such a it's such the simplest ideas are all often so powerful, like happy teacher. Okay. So, well, yeah. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, look at that. Somebody's actually doing something. It's a bit like when you're in an art gallery and people look at an abstract painting and go, yeah, well, I could have done that and it's worth $5 million, but you didn't, <laughs> you didn't paint it. You know, it's like, yeah, I think it's great. It's such a, such a simple idea, but it's so complex in its nature and, it's yeah. really wonderful. So yeah, I think it's Thank so wonderful. Much. Thank you. That's so valid. Thank you so much. And it's funny because when I tell people about it who are outside of education, they'll say, oh, well, duh, you know, like, doesn't that exist already? Or, you know, yeah, that makes so much sense. And I'm like, yeah, but it, like, I literally, I, I use the word revolution in our name because it feels like we, we not only need to revolutionize how we think about teaching and learning through the lens of supporting the teacher, but also like, we need to start a revolution. Come on, teachers, take care of yourselves. You know, there's something that is, it has been very grassroots um, in terms of, of how it's been built. And I'm just so grateful for fellow educators and believing in this work and in this movement. And, um, and it, yeah, it's, it's simple. And, and I think that's why I love it. So <laughs> I just really, I'm so grateful to be able to share the work of Happy Teacher Revolution and, and to get to know you both better. 
That's excellent. Thank you so much, Diana. We'll definitely put um, links to your website and the other resources, the videos on our show notes. Thank you so much for your time and I hope we keep in touch. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm just so grateful for you both. I appreciate it. That was our interview with Dana Thomas. Thank you to Dana for sharing her insights. To access the information and links discussed in the interview, check out the show notes at www.tipbs.com. If you are enjoying listening to the show, please go to iTunes to rate and review it. Your ratings make all the difference. Thank you for listening. See you next time.